bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, September 6, 2011. I will start this week's podcast with the discussion of what we can expect from Capitol Hill this week as Congress reconvenes, President Obama proposes job-boosting measures, and the Super Committee continues to ramp up. I'll also share details about submitting nominations for the Journal of Tax Credit's third annual Developments of Distinction Awards. Then, in our low-income housing tax credit discussion, I'll discuss HUD's efforts to collect data about low-income housing tax credit property residents. I will also share new research about states' preferences for supportive housing, as evidenced in their QAPs. And I'll discuss North Dakota's new Housing Incentive Fund. Then, in our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, I'll provide a preview of Novogratz and Company's upcoming Section 1603 Safe Harbor webinar. Then, I'll discuss new research that shows that the U.S. was a net exporter not a net importer, but a net exporter of solar property in 2010, as well as some new analysis of the global energy investment market. In the historic tax rate segment, I'll briefly discuss the historic preservation community's response to Hurricane Irene and the resulting damage to historic properties on the East Coast. Finally, in our new market tax rate discussion, I'll discuss the announcement that Congressman Richard Neal is scheduled to provide a keynote address at Novogratz & Company's New Markets Tax Credit Investors Conference. I'll also share some new remarks made by Senator Maria Cantwell in support of extending the New Market Tax Credit. And finally, I'll discuss the CDFI Fund Advisor Board upcoming meeting and the National Coalition for Capital's recent recognition of two lawmakers in Maine. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, lawmakers returned to Washington, D.C. this week after spending most of August in their home districts and states. All eyes this week will be on President Obama and the Super Committee. President Obama is slated to deliver an address to a joint session of Congress. The address is scheduled for Thursday night. The topic is jobs. It's expected that the job creation ideas that the President proposes in his address will build on suggestions that he has urged Congress to undertake in the past as well as including some new measures. On August 29th, President Obama described his plan as a set of, and I quote, bipartisan ideas that ought to be the kind of proposals that everybody can get behind, no matter what your political affiliation might be. Regular listeners will recall that in last week's podcast, we discussed two proposals that are rumored to be part of the package. Those were funding school renovations and implementing a new higher tax credit. Last week, the National Journal's Catherine Hollander reported that the President may propose a wide range of other measures to boost employment rates. Some of these are direct measures and some indirect. These measures include creating an infrastructure bank, renewing payroll tax cuts, 
extending jobless benefits, creating a tax credit for hiring veterans, reforming the patent process, improving rural broadband connections, providing job training for long-term unemployed, providing incentives for private sector engagement, and boosting energy-related jobs. At this point, it is unclear what particular ideas will be pushed to create energy-related jobs. But we will be watching Thursday night and we'll be listening for details. We'll also be attuned to what impact his job proposals will have or could have on the affordable housing, community development, and historic preservation areas. Also, if the president's initiatives lead to large tax changes, then we'll also be looking to see to what extent those tax changes could be a vehicle for extending numerous expiring tax provisions, including the new market tax credit. Now, the president is also expected to call for further long-term deficit reduction cuts beyond the $1.5 trillion that the Joint Committee on Deficit Reduction, or Super Committee, has been charged with finding. However, we expect further deficit reduction details to be part of a later speech and not to be part of this speech on Thursday night. Now, turning to the Super Committee, on August 24th, the committee's co-chairs issued a joint statement. In that statement, Senator Patty Murray and Congressman Jeb Hensarling said that they had been engaging in serious discussions. These discussions were being held to determine what set of rules would govern the committee's operations, also to examine a schedule of potential meetings, and to explore how to build a committee staff that would help achieve success. Additionally, Senator Murray and Representative Henserling reported that most of the committee members are reviewing the deficit reduction work that many others have engaged in over the past several years. Then, last week, on August 30th, Senator Murray and Representative Henserling announced they had selected Mark Prater, a tax lawyer with the Senate Finance Committee, as the Super Committee's staff director. They cited Mark Prater's two decades of experience as a top GOP aide on the Senate Finance Committee as a key reason for the move, saying that that experience has given him the know-how required to help the Super Committee succeed. The selection of Mark Prater represented an early moment of bipartisan consensus, and the move was cheered by Republicans and Democrats alike. Also, Republican members of the Super Committee met last week in person to hash out their own strategy ahead of the panel's first official meetings after Labor Day. Democratic members of the Super Committee have not yet met in person, but they are talking regularly over the phone both with each other as well as with Republican members. Now, the Super Committee's first meeting will be held on Thursday, September 8th, before President Obama's job speech. The first hearing will be the following week, Tuesday, September 13th. There, the key speaker will be the director of the Congressional Budget Office. Now, for updates during this week on both President Obama's job speech and on the Super Committee's meetings, simply follow me on Twitter. Let's turn now to the third annual Developments of Distinction Awards. The nomination round for the Journal of Tax Credit's third annual Developments of Distinction Awards is now open. Awards will be given in six categories. These six categories are, one, the Longham Housing Tax Credit Project that has the greatest impact on its community, second award 
for the Logbuzzing Tashwa project that has overcome the most significant obstacles. Third, the Logbuzzing Tashwa project that has demonstrated the greatest financial innovation. Fourth, there's an award for the most innovative use of HUD financing in a tax credit project. Fifth, an award for the most meaningful and distinctive historic tax credit project that has served as a major catalyst for further community development. And then sixth, the most effective and innovative renewable energy tax credit project that has had a positive impact on job creation and its community's energy footprint. Winners will be honored at a breakfast banquet. Winners will also be showcased in a video on Novogratz and Company's website, as well as its YouTube channel. Winners will also be highlighted in a national press release and featured in a special supplement to the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. Nomination forms and information are available at www.taxcredithousing.com. I encourage you to submit your tax credit development for consideration, both those you've developed yourself as well as those you've invested in or otherwise provided services to. And if you have questions about the awards program or the submission process, please don't hesitate to send an email to cpas at novaco.com. In local housing tax credit news, we have an update on HERA tenant data collection. The deadline is approaching for state housing finance agencies to submit their 2010 tenant and property data to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. In a letter sent to the HFAs, HUD requested that states submit the 2010 data by September 30th. Under the Tenant Data Collection Initiative, HUD collects demographic data about tenants of low-income housing tax credit properties. As most listeners know, the data collection was mandated by the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, or HERA. States are required to submit demographic data that includes race, disability status, and partial Social Security numbers for each person residing in low-income housing tax credit finance units on December 31st of the previous year. This is the second year that HUD is collecting the tenant data. HUD began collecting the data last year, but during a presentation at the National Council of State Housing Agencies, HUD's Mike Holler announced that the department would not release the 2009 tenant data to the public. In an interview with the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits, Mr. Holler said that the reason that HUD is not releasing the data is that it is incomplete and doesn't provide a representative sample of low-income housing tax credit unit tenants. Only about 80% of states submitted their information, Holler said. Further, information from many states was incomplete, and many states' data collection efforts were hampered because they did not have existing systems in place to collect the data that HUD was requesting. Reports indicate that a lack of federal funding further hampered the data collection initiative. Although Congress had budgeted $6.1 million for the initiative for five years, that money has not been appropriated. During the first tenant data collection round, HUD encouraged HFAs to establish tenant data collection systems rather than expending copious amounts of time and energy collecting one year's data. HUD and its contractor, Apt Associates, Inc., provided guidance and collection forms to HFAs as needed. This year, HUD and APT are again working with the HFAs, providing information, updates, and one-on-one assistance. HFAs can log on to HUD's data collection site 
to access additional tools, including data standards, submission guidelines, and changes from last year's collection. At the time of this recording, Mr. Haller said that several states were checking their data for errors, and one HFA might be ready to upload its data this week. After the HFAs upload their data and HUD reviews the data, the agency will publish a summary of the information. Once HUD releases the 2010 information, we'll post it online at the Affordable Housing Resource Center. In the meantime, I invite you to check out the November issue of the Journal of Tax Credits to read more about the initiative, including HFA's responses to HUD's second tenant data collection effort. Now, turning to supportive housing, new analysis from the Corporation for Supportive Housing indicates that housing credit agencies have adopted policies within their qualified allocation plans, or QAPs, that encourage supportive housing development. The Corporation for Supportive Housing examined 54 QAPs for the report, and they found that nearly all housing credit agencies provide potential scoring advantages for supportive housing developments. What's more, the Corporation for Supportive Housing found that since its last QAP assessment in 2010, 18 agencies have created or increased credit authority set-asides to supportive housing developments. Three agencies have added a threshold requirement of dedicating 5 to 10% of units for permanent supportive housing, and six agencies have more general threshold requirements that encourage supportive housing development. In addition, the report identified six states that use their 30% basis boost to assist permanent supportive housing properties or developments that have dedicated units to very low-income residents. The Corporation for Supportive Housing says these QAP policy trends help very low-income residents with disabilities achieve greater social and economic self-sufficiency, as well as an enhanced quality of life. A copy of the report is available at www.taxcredithousing.com. Turning to North Dakota, North Dakota has established a new fund to develop affordable multifamily rental units, a fund that creates this support by incentivizing private investment. The Housing Incentive Fund, HIF, receives contributions from financial institutions, corporations, and individuals in exchange for a dollar-for-dollar credit against their state tax liability. The state's Industrial Commission authorized $4 million in HIF tax credits for 2011 and 2012. The credits are claimed over a five-year period and can be carried forward for up to 10 years. The tax credits must be used by the taxpayer who makes the contribution. Developers who have eligible projects may apply to the North Dakota Housing Finance Agency, NDHFA, for as much as $2 million in the fund's first round. Under the Industrial Commission's allocation plan, 60% of the funds must be targeted to areas affected by natural disasters and oil activity. Half of the funds must also be used to assist households with incomes that are, at less, that are less than 50% of area median income, and a quarter of it must be used in developing communities with populations under 10,000. You can find the complete allocation plan at www.ndhfa.org. First-round proposals for housing incentive fund properties must be submitted by 5 p.m. on September 30th. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, first, I'd like to preview a webinar that Novograd and Company will present later this month. It's a webinar about how renewable energy projects can demonstrate that construction has commenced by December 31st, 2011. Why is this significant? Well, as most listeners know, 
This is an important milestone to reach in order to qualify for the Section 1603 Cash Grant Exchange Program. The webinar will be presented on Thursday, September 22nd. The session will cover a variety of hypothetical project development scenarios. Our expert panelists will discuss the benefits of different safe harbor strategies and they'll offer guidance on what pitfalls might prevent a project from meeting their requirements. Featured topics of discussion are expected to include what types of costs are eligible and best suited to meeting the safe harbor requirements, when an applicant needs to make payments for project costs, what constitutes a non-refundable payment, what constitutes a binding written agreement, and obviously much, much more. The webinar will be presented by my partners, Tony Grapponi and Stephen Tracy. They'll be joined on the panel by John Marciano with Chadbourne and Park and Forrest Milder with Nixon Peabody. For more information, and more importantly to register, please go to www.novoco.com backslash events. Now, also, also of interest from last week, the Solar Energy Industries Association announced that a new report that shows that the U.S. is central to the global solar supply chain. The Solar Energy Industries Association, or SIA, says that 2010 was a record year for the U.S. photovoltaic or PV manufacturing industry. The group reports that in 2010, U.S. solar firms achieved a positive trade flow of $1.9 billion globally. That means net exporters. PV components accounted for more than 99% of the year's exports, with solar heating and cooling claiming the remainder of the positive balance. The leading destinations for U.S. sourced PV components were, probably not a surprise, China and Germany. In fact, the group says that the U.S. was a net exporter of solar products to China by more than $240 million, not just internationally, but to China itself, a net exporter of $240 million. While the U.S. primarily sold capital equipment and PV's polysilicon to China, China primarily sold PV modules to the U.S. U.S. imports of PV products totaled $3.7 billion, the majority of which came from procurement of modules that were assembled overseas. China and Mexico were the top two sources of PV goods imported to the U.S. in 2010. The report also found that a significant portion of the domestic value generated by the PV industry resides beyond manufactured components. More specifically, the report suggests that soft costs comprise nearly 50% of total solar revenue in 2010. Those soft costs include site preparation, labor, permitting, financing, and other costs. Next, I'd like to turn to global investment. Global investment in renewable power and fuels set a new record in 2010, this according to new analysis from Bloomberg New Energy Finance. The group reports that global investment in renewable energy hit $211 billion last year. This is up 32% from a revised $160 billion in 2009. Now, the document Global Trends in Renewable Investment 2010, an analysis of trends and issues in the financing of renewable energy, reports that 2010 was the first year when overall investment in solar 
has come close to catching up with overall investment in wind. The report shows that wind continued to dominate in terms of new investment in 2010, with $94.7 billion compared to $26 billion for solar. However, that total does not include small-scale projects. And in that realm, Bloomberg reports that solar was completely dominant, particularly via rooftop PV installations in Europe. In addition, the report found that no energy technology has gained more from falling costs than solar has over the last three years. The price of PV modules per megawatt has fallen by 60% since the summer of 2008, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimates. Within the overall figure of total investment, financial new investment rose to $143 billion. This $143 billion is an increase from $122 billion in 2009 and the previous record of $132 billion in 2008. Financial new investment is described by the report as money invested in renewable energy companies and utility-scale generation and biofuel projects. Finally, Bloomberg reports that because of the rush to complete a number of big investment transactions in the closing weeks of 2010, that before some subsidies expired, activity in the first quarter of 2011 was relatively subdued. Turning to historic tax credits, as listeners know, late last month the East Coast saw an unprecedented amount of natural devastation that has caused severe damage to historic properties and communities. In the wake of Hurricane Irene, the National Trust for Historic Preservation reminded the historic preservation community that it has resources online for helping with wind and flood recovery for older and historic buildings. In states like Vermont, which was particularly hard hit by flooding and which boasts a large number of historic buildings, the hurricane's effects are expected to be significant. Over the years, the National Trust for Historic Preservation and its partners have compiled a wide variety of documentation designed to help in the unfortunate event that disaster strikes. On its website, the Trust says that historic preservationists have a valuable perspective to offer, both in planning for disasters and in recovering from them. The information offered in the National Trust site is designed to help integrate preservation practice into this work and to ultimately increase the survival of historic resources. In a statement that was released on August 30th, National Trust for Historic Preservation's Stephanie Meeks said that the loss and damage to historic properties and communities due to Hurricane Irene has been one of the many regrettable outcomes of the storm. She said the National Trust for Historic Preservation has provided state and local partners with disaster response information, and in Vermont, the Trust is providing some funds to conduct building assessments of affected properties. Finally, she said, and I quote, we stand ready to offer whatever resources we have available to help communities and homeowners make thoughtful choices to preserve the historic places that remain. In new market tax credit news, I'm pleased to announce that Congressman Richard Neal is scheduled to deliver a keynote address at Novogratz and Company's New Market Tax Credit Investors Conference. Congressman Neal was first elected to the House in 1988. He currently serves as a senior member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He's also an at-large whip for the House Democrats and a ranking member of the Subcommittee on Select Revenue Measures. Of most interest to listeners, 
Congressman Neal is also a co-sponsor of H.R. 2655, the New Market Tax Credit Extension Act of 2011. The bill was introduced on July 26th and it would extend the New Market Tax Credit for five years. I encourage you to join Novograd and Company at the New Market Tax Credit Investors Conference in Chicago. You can learn more about the conference at www.novaco.com backslash events. Now also, late last month, Seattle Mayor Mike McGinn helped break ground for the Bullet Center, a center which supporters say is projected to be the greenest commercial building in the world. The City of Seattle assisted with the Bullet Center project by bringing together multiple departments, including the Department of Planning and Development, Seattle City Light, the Parks Department, and Seattle Public Utilities. In addition, the city's Office of Economic Development invested $10 million in new market tax credits through the Seattle Investment Fund. The overall financing includes new market tax credit investments provided from two other tax credit entities. Ecotrust invested $6.9 million and McCormick Barron invested $10 million. Now, why am I telling you so much about this new market tax credit investment? Well, this groundbreaking may be of particular interest for listeners because for the second week in a row, Senator Maria Cantwell took the opportunity to speak in support of the New Market Tax Credit Program. In a statement about the Bullet Center groundbreaking, Senator Cantwell noted that the New Market Tax Credit Defense Project is helping bring more than 140 permanent jobs to Seattle. She said, and I quote, That's why I am fighting to extend this program, which is creating new employment opportunities and strengthening communities across America. Close quote. Now, let's turn to the CDFI Fund Advisory Board. The next meeting of the CDFI Fund's Community Development Advisory Board will be held on Tuesday, September 13th. The Advisory Board advises the CDFI Fund Director on the policies regarding the activities of the CDFI Fund. Next week's meeting is scheduled to include a report from CDFI Fund Director Donna Gambrell. It will be a report on the fund's activities as well as policy, programmatic, fiscal, and legislative initiatives for 2011 and 2012. More information can be found online at www.cdfifund.gov. Then, at the state level, the Portland Press-Herald reports that House Minority Leader Emily Kane and Senate President Kevin Ray were each recently named 2011 Champion of Small Business by the National Coalition for Capital. They were selected for the honor because of their bipartisan sponsorship of a bill that created the Maine State New Market Tax Credit. The National Coalition for Capital is a nationwide nonprofit coalition committed to advancing policies that support economic development and job creation. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.